Would you pray with me, please? Father, we just praise you tonight for the songs that just lifted our souls and reminded us that when all is well with our soul, we can handle anything. Lord, may that lesson really come through tonight. Lord, may we really see how blessed we truly are with our salvation. I know life can be so difficult, and I know we have disappointments, and we know that life doesn't always go. In fact, 99.9% .9 of the time, our lives do not go the way we planned, but your plan. I, I thank you for showing me this phrase that I'm learning to say, Lord, this is my plan, but if it's not yours, override it. And Lord, you've done that so many times. I go with the plan, but I always know that your plan is always best. And may we get to know you so well that we dare do that. Lord, I know we, we um, this is a difficult study in some ways, but tonight, Lord, may we see in this chapter that it is not that difficult. When we put all the pieces together and we see how many times that you repeated and how you'll even take things out of chronological order so that we can hear this over and over till we finally understand and we get it. So, Lord, tonight, may we be so looking and seeing like Daniel that we don't put our head in the sand, that, that we want the truth, that we want to hear what's coming, that we are ready and prepared. Father, we stand in awe of these visions and these examples that you get. Father, we look at the rams and the goats and the horns, and, and yet it's really so understandable on how you want to show us that, that there's prophecy, it's fulfilled to the detail, and then there's more prophecy, so we have something to hold on to. And it's always pointing us to Jesus. So, yes, tonight, thank you, Father, for coming up our, with our salvation plan. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to, to be our salvation. And then thank you, Holy Spirit, for taking the word that Jesus wrote, the, the word that Jesus is, the word that is so important in our lives, that has every answer. It is all we need. So, Father, tonight, may we really hear your spirit communicating to our soul and that we leave here so much better than when we came because we have met with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, here we go. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. That's right. Okay, now you turn tonight into Daniel 8. Just think, we've been in this book for eight weeks now. And we are seeing a pattern. We're seeing repetition. That's why I dare say tonight that um, when you first read this chapter, it's, it's you, you know, you, you just read about the ram and the goat and the horns. And, you know, that's why so many people, if they're not in tune with Daniel 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, then they're going to just shut the book and say, no, this is too bizarre. But if you think about it, you will see that, that in this course of action, God has just been showing us some very simple principles that he wants us to remember and to live by. He simply wants us to see that there is no earthly kingdom. Because you think about how much you get worked up about elections and certain leaders in different countries and how nervous we get about, you know, that leader in North Korea. And, you know, I mean, sometimes the news and, and I mean, even during the Gulf War and then we saw pictures of Saddam Hussein and, you know, and you read about um, the history of Adolf Hitler and what he did. And, and, I mean, you just watch some of these leaders, and they just creep you out. And, and you think, what are they going to do next? And, and how safe am I? And are they going to take over the world? And are they going to try to rise up into one world order? And, you know, all these kinds of things. And that's why it's so important that we're in this particular book. This, at this time, it's, it's prophecy that happened hundreds of years ago. It's so relevant to today. 
And then as we end tonight, you will see that God even said to Daniel, seal it up because this is for the distant future. So this is our prophecy that now we live holding on to. Now, what, what lesson that we have learned, in, and God tried to make it noticed in such unique ways. So, you know, right away we know that Israel was sent into exile on purpose because they wouldn't listen. I mean, when are we going to learn that God does not like it when we don't listen and when we follow our own ways? When pride, that means self, gets in the way of humility where we should be before him. And so when pride gets on the throne, when self gets on the throne, I mean, he will deal with us on that. And so he warned Israel through Jeremiah and through many prophets, you don't listen, you're going into exile. And that's exactly what happened. Now, in the course of this exile comes a wonderful book and a wonderful story written by Daniel and how it is possible to live victorious, live close and tight to the Lord, even when the times are disastrous. I mean, how you can you relate that to now? We can live according to God's word and his principles and his commands. We can live according to that, even though the world's telling us that you just have to be more tolerant. You just have to be more loving and more kind and more accepting. Now, we can be kind and loving, but when it comes contrary to God's word, we've, we've got to get more like Daniel. And how did he get so strong? It was just a mere simple faith that was taught by his parents. And then when he was pulled out of his parents' home in exile, because then he went off to the king's palace, when he, when he did that, he had a choice to make. Am I going to fit into this new mold? Am I going to fall into the culture of the day? Or am I going to stay close to the Lord? And we know the way three times a day he was faithful in his formal prayer, looking straight in the direction of his home, Jerusalem. And so he worked at it. So that's another great lesson. Yes, we can live in tough times when the world's conditions. I mean, have you noticed you can't even watch Hallmark Christmas movies anymore without weeding in some of this new thing because of our new culture, because you know, it's, it's just, we just can't have it any other way. We've got to be tolerant. We've got to more, be more loving and accepting. And I mean, it's just penetrated everywhere. And, and so we have got to decide, and I think Daniel is going to help us, that, you know, yes, we still, I repeat, we can still be loving and gentle and kind. But there comes a time. Remember when, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo, when they just with all confidence said, you know, okay, this is what's going to happen. We know the Lord, he could, he's able to deliver us from this. But, you know, we don't have to defend ourselves to you because, you know what, we're not going to bow to you. I mean, it was, don't you want to be more like that? Like, I don't, I don't see them shouting and, and, you know, being dogmatic and, and, you know, just so disagreeable. I mean, they just calmly said, we're not going to defend ourselves to you on this issue because we're just not going to do it. And may, may the chips fall where they may. You know, that kind of love and trust, you know. And then we saw how, how God loves the pagan world. He does. And he, it's not his will that any perish. So what does he do? He gives Nebuchadnezzar this dream that he doesn't even know what it's about. So Daniel had to come in and tell him the dream and then interpret And then we see our first glimpse of this statue, the first glimpse of prophecy, how, how this statue, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, all he heard was, oh, I'm the top, I'm the head of gold. And then it's like he didn't even hear. But the rest of the statue was, then the next empire was Medes and Persians. The next empire was the Greek Empire. The next empire was the Roman Empire. 
So, you know, we, we see that God is saying that with every earthly empire, with, a, with every earthly kingdom, it's going to go down. And so even though we look at some of these leaders, I mean, I just think, look at, look at Adolf Hitler. <laughs> look at Saddam Hussein. I mean, you know, the Lord is still in it and over it and through it. And he has still got a plan in motion. And from all of our, our learnings of scripture and then from looking back, the Lord wins. And we as his children then win. Now, we see that Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen. He didn't listen. And, of course, God said, all right. You know? So, fortunately, he gave him another dream. And this dream was the dream of the tree. And then he said, Daniel had interpreted. And and he said, you know, this tree is going to get cut right to the stump. But leave the roots. There's still life. And then Daniel said to him, he says, you know, I have to tell you, you're the tree. And if you don't repent, then you are going to go out in the fields of the animals and you're going to be on all fours and you're going to eat grass and you're going to grow claws and you're going to grow feathers. And I mean, how bizarre, but remember how he waited a whole year and he still didn't do anything? The Lord was patient for a year when he still, then all of a sudden a year later, remember how Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the roof of his palace, you know, just patting himself on the back, how great he is and how, how great his kingdom is and what he has done and all this. And that quick, he started growing claws. That quick, the feathers started. That quick, he was in the fields eating grass. See, these are all important things. God will do whatever it takes because if people, if if his people do not listen, he is trying his best to get our attention. And after seven long years, oh, that was such a good chapter, wasn't it? After seven years, Nebuchadnezzar saw the light and remember his praise. And he, he acknowledged God for who he was. And so, hallelujah, yes, because he listened and he finally obeyed. This is what God expects from us, from every one of us. Our pride has got to get stripped. That's why I constantly say that walk to the cross is humbling, but it's the walk that must be taken. We have to know who we are without a Savior, and that's how much we need one then. So then, you know, we see his, his next one that takes over, at least as far as what Scripture shows, is Belshazzar. And what a contrast, right? I mean, you have Belshazzar, and, and the Lord tries to get his attention to with a handwriting on the wall, and you'd think that would do it. Daniel tries his best to try to say, now you know, you know what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, whether it was his dad or grandpa or or whatever. You certainly know what happened to him. You have a chance to repent. And he didn't. And so Daniel said, this is what's going to happen. You will be slain. Your kingdom will be taken from you and you will die. And that's exactly how that chapter ended. That was not my favorite chapter ending, but yet we have to hear it because this is, as much as we don't like to hear that, this is the system, this is the terms that God set up. Listen to me, obey me, and I will bless you, and you will reap the benefits of what it's like to live in Christ. But if you don't, then there's consequences, and he disciplines and so sometimes some of our sufferings, we think we almost can shake our fist at God. Think, Why are you putting me through this? And sometimes it's just because he loves you and I that much. And he says, you know, you didn't even realize how you veered off. You got away from me. I have to do what I have to do to bring you back. I mean, this simple message is coming through over and over. And then, and then we see, you know, how... Um, uh, of course, we've got the fire furnace and, and the, the lion's den, and, you know, we don't have to go over that again. But then we see how Daniel, he's um, chapters 7 and 8 should be between chapters 4 and 5. But like I prayed, thank you, Lord, for even taking, taking things out of chronological order so that we can 
can know this message when we need it. And I say we needed, we needed one, two, three, four, five, six, so that we could understand last week and this week. And it's just the same message over and over. And now Daniel, Daniel, last week he has this his first his first vision, and now it's pretty much the same thing, but this time it's with beasts. Instead of the statue, it's beasts and how he put animals to these kingdoms. You know, and he, how the Babylonians were, they were like a lion. And then the Medes and Persians were like the bear. And how the Greek empire was like the, um, the leper. And you know, how, how these characteristics of these animals really fit the character of these kingdoms. So, just another reminder that earthly kingdoms will fail. But after we hear that, we hear, but there will be a kingdom. Remember when Daniel said, a kingdom that will last forever? Yes, forever and ever. For us to be able to hold on to the fact that we have a future. And so now in chapter, in chapter 8, it's like Daniel gets another vision. And it's, it's pretty much, it's pretty much, the Greek Empire. It's pretty much, this chapter is pretty much um, all about the Greek Empire. So we'll go into it in detail. So in the third year of King Belshazzar, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. So we wanted to make sure that you and I knew that it was not the same. This is, this is two years later, and it is a different one. Although, to me, the theme is still the same. Now, look how specific his, his vision was. He said, in my vision, I saw. Remember how last week we said in underlying words like, I looked, I watched. See, you have to look at your own self. If we want to dare to be a Daniel... In, in a tough world, in a paganistic world, then we have to work at it. And, and so here, here Daniel looks, he sees, he watches, he wants to know the truth. It's so easy. And I think that's why Daniel, the book of Daniel, is not studied in its entirety. It's to be very honest with you. There was a few people close in my life that when I said we were going to do Daniel, they thought I was a little over the top, that I thought I was getting a, myself in a little hot water here. And they, they, I don't think they really thought that I was going to be capable of doing it. And I just held on to what Daniel said, that he gives wisdom to the wise, and I'll be the first one to say that I have finally attained a wise title. I'm wise. And I hope you, it's not bragging. It's really not bragging. If you, if you attest to the fact, I am a wise person. It's really quite a humbling to say, I'm a wise person. Because a wise person is one that they know they're not. So they go to the one who is. And that has been so encouraging for me. Because, you know, I read it just like you read it. And, and I think, this is... Yeah, maybe this is a little beyond me. And then I sit there and I say, okay, Lord, you promised to give wisdom to the wise. And only you can show me. And then when he starts showing me, I'm thinking, that's not even hard. This is constant repetition to give us hope, to show us don't be afraid of these earthly kingdoms that are rising up. They're going down. And you're my child and you're safe in my hands. And all is well with your soul. There isn't a kingdom, there isn't a leader, there isn't anything that can, can snatch your soul from the Father's hands. And so when we look at these demonstrations, these actual proof that we can remember now when, when we watch the news and we see another world leader coming into a big, strong power, that we, we don't get nervous because, yep, yeah, that's, that's exactly what was supposed to happen. That's exactly it. But we know our future. So now look how detailed he says, in my vision I saw myself in the citadel of Susa. 
And in your questions, I said to you, go to Esther 1 and 2 and see that this was a real place. I don't think in this vision, I don't think Daniel actually went there. I think he was transported there in this vision. But it just shows how how true and how realistic it is because he could even say, I was in the citadel of Susa and um, in the province of Elam. And in fact, I was even standing by a, a canal named Uli. I mean, he just was so specific. There I was in these real places. And I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. Now, Again, this is a, the same story, but you but told in a different way, using little different animals and that, but basically it's the same story. Now we know that from proof already that when Belshazzar's kingdom ended, it went to the Darius, the, the Medes and Persians. So we've already got proof that Babylon went down, and now it's in the Medes and Persians. Now this is just quickly that this ram is the Medes and the Persians. That's why it has two horns. See, horns represent power, leadership. And the Medes and Persians, they were like two kingdoms in one, but the Persians were stronger. So the fact that that one horn was longer, but then the Medes came and it grew, so they were equal. But it just fit because the Persian part of the Medes and the Persians, that was true. They, they were a, a bit more powerful. Okay, he said, now verse 4, I watched the ram as he charged toward the west and the north and the south. Now, at first, I didn't think that that was any big deal. I thought, okay, well, that's the Medes and Persians went in those directions, the west, the north, and the south, to capture these different nations. That's where they chose to go. But later, I want you to see that there is a reason why Daniel put the Medes and Persians went west, north, and south. No animal, no animal could stand against him, which means a nation. No nation could stand against him, and none could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. So the Medes and the Persians became the one world order. They were ruling the world. They became very great. And they ruled the world for quite a few years. And I think they got a little, you know, they, they were pretty probably lax. And they thought that they were invincible, just like all of these kings and kingdoms. They think they're supreme. And they think that nothing can happen to them. And God is trying to show them and us that's not the case. When anybody starts taking the place of God, he's going to deal with them on that. And that's us too. When we start controlling our own life, when we aren't willing to say your will be done, we're not, when we're not willing to surrender and let him use our life after all what he's done for us, so anyway, it says, I watched this ram, and this ram became very powerful, and he did as he pleased and became great. So I think that we can picture that. Yeah, they were just coasting along, ruling the world. All was great. As I was thinking about this, I'm sure as Daniel was looking at this vision, you know, and he was thinking, oh, yeah, that's the Medes and Persians, or, or maybe he wasn't. He was just watching this ram with those horns, and, and then so he was probably taking that all in, and then all of a sudden a goat with a prominent horn between his eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. <laughs> that had to be a sight. You got a flying goat. It says he's not touching the ground. So, I mean, there it was. There was that goat. But then, you know, coming out of his forehead, between his two eyes, is this huge horn. It came toward the two-horned ram. 
See, while they're probably just, you know, basking in their greatness, I had... I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at him in great rage. So, you know, this Daniel said, I saw this, this um, big horned goat come and charge this two-horned ram. So this next, this goat, which we're going to see, and I'm sure you have seen from this chapter, is that this goat is now the next empire. Because the Medes and the Persians, they, they didn't think anything of, of God. They did not repent and become remorseful and, and surrender to the one and only sovereign God. So in God's perfect timing, down they went. So now rises up the Greek empire, which, of course, because we learned that from the statue in chapter 2. This is all coinciding. It's all in perfect order. So he says in verse 7, I saw him attack the ram furiously, try striking the ram and shattering his two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against him. The goat knocked him to the ground and trampled on him, and none could rescue the ram from his power. So you have the Greek empire coming in, and the one horn represents... What did, we, what did we learn from the past? Is that that's Alexander the Great. And, you know, we saw last week that the Greek Empire was like the leper. And the, Alexander the Great was a young man, but, oh, he was quick. And he conquered the world in a short period of time. And he died at either 28 or 32. I saw different things. But anyway, he died at a young age. And that's exactly what it says. The goat became very great, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. And in its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of earth. Now, we saw that in, in the past. We saw that. You know, this is very, you know, going to get, going, um, you know, the same story. So now, once Alexander the Great is gone and he dies, now the Greek Empire goes to four, four leaders. It's divided into four parts. That four horns, four leaders. Out of one of them, out of one of them came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. This is where it really gets interesting because now this particular leader is going after, he's going in the south, the east, toward the beautiful land, which is Israel. And this, this leader has a name. And his name is Antichus Epiphanes. Now, just concentrate. I don't want to confuse you, but I want you to know that, that this, when Daniel was seeing all this, when Antichus Epiphanes came on the scene, it was like 350 years later. And yet Daniel is given this prophecy. And, you know, when on, on our way home um, last night, Tom was telling me that there, there had been movies made about Antichus Epiphanes. And that he was a real person. And that everything that Daniel prophesied came true. Word for word, detail by detail. And by the time we get to the end of this chapter, I want you to catch that this is God's point. Because now we'll then receive our future prophecy. And we better know because the prophecy that Daniel prophesied of 350 years ahead came true every word. And that is a lesson. So when we hear about the prophecy that, is, that was sealed up we will know that he's talking about the prophecy that we are in right now. And what do we know about what God says he does? Every word. 
So, Antichus Epiphanes. The re- oh, Epiphanes wasn't his last name. Epiphanes, he, he, um, he, he entitled himself that. Antichus was his name, but M- M- um, the, that Epiphanes was a word that meant, I looked it up, and that meant, it meant superpower, supernatural. See, here we go again. Another leader who thinks he's sovereign. Now, he is heading toward Israel. He's heading toward the beautiful land. Let me just tell you how Satan works. Believe me, Satan knows the power of God. He he knows. Remember how James says, you know, even the demons, even the demons know. So Satan knows the power of God. I think Satan even knows he's doomed. But I think he's still so upset. He's so mad at God for booting him out of heaven. And he is taking revenge. And I believe that Satan is taking revenge on, on, on God's people. And I'm sure you can all testify how, how real the devil is and how sometimes you think, where did I even get that thought? Where in the world did that come from? Or whenever he can get us to just concentrate on ourselves, He's so conniving. He's just so deceitful. He so prowls around. He goes after God's people because even though he can't possess us, he can make us so ineffective through our disappointment and in our whining and our complaining and in our lack of hope, in our lack of strength and courage, in our complacency. We're not, when we're not willing to stand for the truth of God's word. See, he, he makes us ineffective. So now look at verse 10. It grew, this horn, this little horn, it grew until it reached the host of the heavens. And it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the prince of the host. See, just what I, just what I said. It took away the daily sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was brought low. Because of the rebellion, the host of the saints and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and, the, and truth was thrown to the ground. That's so sad, but this is what he did. He went after God's people, and he went after God's temple. And he, he made a mockery of it. Remember how when Nebuchadnezzar um, took the, the kingdom of Judah into captivity, remember he took out of the temple all those goblets and, you know, all the things that were sacred to the Israelites, and he just took them as a joke. And then Belshazzar, remember, in his big old lush party, you know, his drunken state, everybody's drinking all their, their liquor out of these, these beautiful goblets. So how blasphemy. So now you got you have this terrible leader, and he goes into the temple, and you know what he does? He brings his god, I don't know how, some maybe idol or some image of it, of the of Zeus, the pagan god Zeus. You talk about desecrating the temple with a pagan god, and then you're talking about an abomination. You know what he did? He, he sacrificed to the god Zeus, little g. Um, he sacrificed a big old fat pig to him. But if you know anything about the Jews, there is anything more unclean than a big old fat pig. And he did this on purpose. Tell you. Satan just loves, because I'm sure Satan is thinking, oh, this must just be so disgusting to God. Yay, 
That's what he, that's, I just, it, it sickens me to think that sometimes he'll even use me, he'll use you. That when people would look at us, they wouldn't want to come along. Who would want to with that kind of attitude? But this is what he is doing. It's just what the Bible says. And he threw truth right to the ground. Boy, that is so today. I mean, have you ever gone to somebody and, and you, you know, you're in a controversial kind of subject? And I know I have, and I will take my Bible and I say, but God says, this is what the Bible says. And I do it with gentleness and respect, but, you know, I can't, I cannot not say what God says. And it's like the person just looks at it and they just laugh. And it's like they just spit at it, maybe not literally, but when they think it's a joke, and it's just like that, when they, when they just trample on truth, when they don't even think that, that this is serious and that it's something to be reverenced and to be obeyed and to, and to be listened to. That's why our world is in such a mess. No one's got their Bible open. No one's studying. No one's asking the Spirit to bring truth into their lives. No one wants to look and see they're just living in the now. What gratifies me now? Thank you, Daniel. Thank you that we are taking this line by line. Thank you for the warnings that we can be prepared, that we can watch Daniel prophesy 350 years ahead of time, and yet we can look back now and see, yes, it happened. Verse 13, then I heard, in all that mess, he said, then Daniel said, I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him. So you've got two angels, probably, who are talking together. They're looking at what's going on, and they can't believe it. And so they say, how long, how long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, and the surrender of the sanctuary and of the host that will be trampled underfoot. How long can this last? Have you ever said that? I mean, I've said it so many times. How long can this world keep going on like this? But you know what we can learn from this? Look at what the answer. And he said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be reconcentrated. Now, I know that there is some long explanation of, of you know, how, how long it was before the temple was, you know, cleansed again and reconcentrated or con consecrated. Um, I know that, but for me, I just needed a simple answer. You know, I, I don't know, 2,300 days and nights, it's just a little over six years. I personally couldn't figure out what, all I, all I want to know is that when God's timing, when, because it's perfect, when God says, all right, it's time. That is what I have seen in this book. This is the way I want to live. I might say, how long is this going to last, Lord? How long can our world and our country keep blaspheming you and spitting on your word? And, you know, how long can you take this? I know you're filled with grace, but how long can you take this? But remember how we've, how we've seen it just at the right time. Remember when Daniel, he, he saw things on the earth and then just when it just was getting to him and then the Lord raised his, to him to heaven to see what was going on in heaven. And then, then his eyes went back to earth and then, when he, then the Lord raised his eyes back to heaven again. The Lord knows just how long. And so to me, I just believe that how long, Lord, and he's answering back to me, when I say, and his timing is perfect. Okay, then verse 15, while I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to under, understand it, see, even he had a hard time, there before me stood one who looked like a man, and I heard a man's voice from the Eula Canal calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. 
Oh, wouldn't you love to watch that? Because I'm sure that the man, the man's voice was Jesus. And Jesus is calling out Gabriel, the archangel Gabriel. Whoa. Gabriel. And we haven't, we haven't heard about Gabriel in all of these visions. All of a sudden, it's like Jesus' voice is saying, Gabriel, as he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Oh, I'm sure that when you see the angel Gabriel, yeah, I, I think it would drop you. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. I think Gabriel patted, I mean, that had been something, you know, touched, touched me, you know, getting a tap from Gabriel. And Gabriel saying, again, I want to talk to you face to face here. He said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. See, that's my clue. That's my clue that we are now talking about the prophecy that we're living in now. Because if you go to Revelation, we know that, that when, when judgment starts, when Jesus takes the scroll from the Father's hand, he starts judgment. And, and, the, and the heavenlies are rejoicing because, because now justice is coming and sin will be conquered and the evil one will be destroyed and there's rejoicing in heaven, it says. But when the judgment starts, it does it progressively. I mean, he could have judged this earth in a split second, but it's still, he still does it progressively because he's still giving people time. But the seven seals start opening one at a time. And then the seven trumpets start sounding one at a time. And it gets gradually worse and worse and worse. And then the final is the bowls, the seven bowls of wrath. And I'm here to tell you, if you have read the seven bowls of wrath, you don't want to be around. The wrath of God. So that's my clue that we're now, now venturing into the prophecy that we, again, not to be scared of, but to know that God's got a plan in motion for all of us. But we need to be prepared. We need to be warned so that we can say, oh, yeah, that's exactly what the Bible said was going to happen. We've talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel saying, we know the Lord is able to save us from us. But what we read here is that God's people are going to be persecuted. It is not going to be easy. But the shell is just that. And when all is well with your soul, you can get through. I can get through anything. So, he says, I'm going to tell you what will happen in that time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes is the first king. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represents four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation but will not have the same power. Maybe, you know, we have got to know that, that other kingdoms, we're seeing it now, other kingdoms, other, other nations are trying to rise up and be the world power. It's just, it's obvious. But like I said at the beginning, we should be so comforted when we read this, knowing that whatever nation tries to rise, especially into the position of God, we know it will end. When God says it's over, it will be over. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. Now remember, we had just talked about 
Antiochus Epiphanes. But here we're talking that from, from what we see in Revelation, that there is going to be a rise. That little horn is going to rise to a position, and he's going to have such a smooth tongue. And if you are not grounded in God's word, there's a leader that's going to rise up. I will bring peace to the world. And I'm telling you that when you're not in God's word and you are not walking with the Lord, you're going to be sucked right up into it because he's going to say just what you want to hear. Oh, bring peace to this world. And it's going to look like he has got the answers. And I happened to write some things down. I couldn't believe the, um, the cont- or not contrast, the similarities between Antichus Epiphanes and this little horn that's going to rise up and this Antichrist. And we don't know if it's a, if it's a person, if it's going to be, I don't, I don't know. We don't know. All we know is that one, someone really evil is going to come up, but they're not going to look evil at first. Now, Antichus and the Antichrist, they, they are, oh man, they, they're known for flattery and smooth tongue. Um, what did I say about Antichus um, Epiphanes? Where, what direction did he head south and east toward the beautiful land of Israel? The Antichrist will, will strike and make a covenant with, with Israel. I mean, Daniel and Revelation, I mean, they should be holding hands. They really, they really are. Um, both empowered by Satan... Both will appear to be totally successful and complete winners. But both will persecute and destroy the people of God. Both are marked by deceit. Both will exalt themselves. Both will rise against the prince of the hosts of God himself. So many similarities. So, he told me, he gave me the interpretation, and this is what he said. This stern face, master of intrigue, will rise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. No, you know what? This this is all God's doing. God's doing this. Isn't that something? It's hard to imagine, but God will do whatever it takes. Remember, he even called Nebuchadnezzar his servant. Because he, he doesn't want his people to fall backwards and fall off track. And I mean, he can look brutal sometimes, but believe it or not, it's just sheer love. And he disciplines those he loves. So then it says, he will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper. He will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. I mean, it can't get any worse. God's people are being persecuted. And then he, when, he, when everybody, when they start feeling secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes, which is God himself. Oh, that sounds terrible. And the, then look, the next word. I think this is one of the best three-letter words in Scripture because look how bleak it is. But then look, yet... He will be destroyed, but not by human power. Boy, that is a line, let me tell you. Antichus Epiphanes, he was destroyed. He died by being struck with a disease. Not man's, not by human power. And the Antichrist... Oh, this is a great chapter. This is a great chapter. When you read chapter 19 and 20 and you just watch Jesus go to him and just pick him up and throw him into hell. See, when it's just the right time, God will handle it. This is how we can live. This is how you and I can live with that kind of hope. 
But don't be naive to think it isn't serious and that it isn't that it's not going to happen. And I mean, maybe maybe we won't be living here anymore. But I don't know. We none of us knows the day or the hour. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been given you is true. See, I think by this time. The Lord wants Daniel to put this in there because there's so many people that said, oh, you know, this is, you know, this is one horror flick. You know, this can't, so bizarre, this can't possibly be real. So I think God says, Daniel, you better write this down, that you tell him that this vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been given, it is true. But then he says, look, but seal up the vision for it concerns the distant future. I went to Revelation, and I found in chapter 1 and in 22 how um, Revelation talks about the seal is open. See, for Daniel, because this was a distant prophecy, it was to be sealed up until the revelation was written. And now, now it's opened. It's after Jesus came and after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after he ascended back into heaven, after the gospel went to the world. then revelation is our hope. It's our prophecy. It's our hope. And what do we know about prophecy? Every word is true. I, Daniel, was exhausted, and I lay ill for several days. Remember last, last week, he was troubled? He was troubled. And this, this week, he is laying there exhausted, and he is ill for days. I can understand that. As he is watching, you know, within, the, within these three years, he's had these visions, and he can see, I mean, so detailed. He watches one empire fall to the next empire, fall to the next empire, to the next empire. And he's watching all of these pagan, ungodly people die an eternal death because they wouldn't listen. And I think it made him sick. And I was thinking, does it make me sick? Does it make me sick enough? Because I think as he's laying there and it's such a, it's troubling, it's exhausting, it's real, it's realistic that and I think that's why Jesus said it. And you know what Jesus said when he said, you know, wide is the gate and narrow is the way. And few there be that find it. Tonight, we are so privileged. If you have been to the cross and you want to see and learn and look and, and you want to be in God's word and you believe that every word is true and it's all you need, we... You're one of the few. Isn't that, isn't that just so wonderful? To know you're one of the few. Few there be that really find it. I think of all the churches on corners, and I'm thinking, and some of them, they're just sitting there in their pews, putting in their money or making themselves feel so good because they came to church for an hour. Oh, maybe I'll serve on a committee or two. Oh, won't God be pleased with me about that? I mean, but they've never really studied their Bibles and really gone into this and seen how serious it is. So, I mean, I get sick about it too. Think of how many, you know, I even think of my own self. I mean, how many great credentials that I was privileged to have. I mean, you know, being so raised in a Christian home and children's Bible hour and catechism and youth group and I mean just so many things but and I'm thankful for everyone because everyone pointed me to Jesus but that decision was mine and mine alone no one could make that happen it was my decision if we come to the Savior on our own And those who don't, who just don't get it, 
Yeah, I get, I get why he was laying there exhausted and sick to his stomach. But then I think he's looking up to heaven and he's saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I be a testimony? How can my life count for you? I know you're the only one that can change a heart. But I have a responsibility to be a light to be able to be strong and courageous and dare to be like a Daniel. And I think when he was, when that was going through his mind, when he was laying on his back and he was looking and he was processing this, and he, look at it says, then I got up. It's just like you could almost hear him say, oh, do I have work to do. And what was his work? It was to go about the king's business. The king's business. I mean, do we care enough about souls and the lost and living our life for Christ and, and we're grateful for what he's done for us, that our life is a testimony? Are we, do we get up and want to do the king's business? And the king's business is, is what, that's such a multitude of things. It could be your job, but it's, it's living out Christ, living out the fruit of his spirit. You don't have to be Hitting people over their big, with your biggest Bible. You don't have to be dogmatic and critical. All you have to do is love and stand up for what God says. That's the king's business in wherever he puts us. Ministry is right where he puts you. It's not always Africa. It isn't always standing behind a pulpit. The king's business is wherever he puts you in your little part of the world. Because that's what he said. Go ye into your little part of the world and live out this gospel that saved you. You know, and then he says, I was appalled by this vision. And it was beyond understanding. I think it was. It's, do you know that studying prophecy, though, should, should be, instead of being afraid, it should make us more, um, more in tune, more, should motivate us more to want to be a part of the king's business. That's why prophecy, is, he, he gives us just enough what we need to know. And it should kick us in gear to want us to get going the, doing the king's business. It should be a great momentum. But if someone would come up to you and say to you, if you knew, if, if the Lord's coming tomorrow at noon, the Lord is coming at noon tomorrow, what would you do? What, what would your life be like if you absolutely knew that the Lord was coming back at noon tomorrow? I bet, I bet you and I, we wouldn't even be sleeping. I bet we wouldn't even go to sleep tonight. Our list would be, oh, I got to see this. I got to talk to this. I mean, I put this off. I got to go to this person. I mean, we would be so busy. You know what our answer should be? What would you be doing if you knew the Lord was coming at noon tomorrow? Our answer should be exactly what I will be doing. Because that's what we should be. Because none, you know, he could come at noon tomorrow. He could come. He could come tonight. We don't know. So what a lesson for us here. Are we about the king's business? And then finally, I just want to, you know, let's go back to animals. Let's go back to this. I mean, tonight we've talked about the ram and the one horn bigger than the other. And then we talked about, you know, the goat with the one horn and then that cracked off and then the four horns and then the one little horn growing. I mean, we've covered a lot of territory, but I hope you can see this is not complicated. It is the same message over and over that the Lord is trying to make us see. But you know what? Our, our courage and our strength and our salvation is not in the ram. It's not in the goat. That's why I picked the songs I did tonight. It's all about the lamb. Hallelujah to the king of kings. Hallelujah to the lamb. What a lesson. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this unusual, but yet 
very prophetic, yes, but what glory for us to hold on to. Father, help us to live about the king's business. Help us to know that when we look forward, because you never like us to look back, the past is past, and you've begun a work in us, a new work in us, and that is moving us forward. And we know that forward means onward and upward. And what a day that will be when Jesus we will see. All of this pertains to that final time when we will stand before him No more sorrow, no more pain, no more goodbyes. And then forever we will be with the one who died for every one of us to make it all possible. What a day, what glorious day that is going to be. But may we, like Daniel, may we get up. Because until that day, until then... May our heart go on singing. And Lord, if we're living in fear and panic and our heart can't sing, there's no joy when we're panicked and when it's all about our comfort and our happiness. And But I don't want to go through this. And Lord, help us to just fix our eyes on you. Until then, our heart, may people see it sing. May joy, may we carry on with joy until that day when our eyes do finally see that new Jerusalem, that city. Until the day God calls us to our home, to our real home. Father, help us. We need your help, but we have it. We've got every tool necessary to make us be like Daniel. May we do it. May we work at this. May we take it serious enough. May we just shine for Jesus' sake. Even though it won't be easy, but it'll be worth it. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.